Hello and welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. Um, in this episode, I'll be looking at uh, a 1919 story called The Doom That Came to Sarnath. Um, now, you know, these stories that Lovecraft wrote in 1919, he all got them published pretty much um, when he wrote them. I think the exception may have been Juan Romero. Uh, this one... Uh, written in December 1919, published in June 1920, reprinted in Weird Tales in 1938. Like so many Lovecraft stories, they kind of reemerged after his after his death in in the pages of Weird Tales. Um, so this is this story. It's it's kind of like a Dreamland story in that you do have a an external world that's that may have some connection to 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 Earth. Um, you don't have a traveler though. You don't have a dreamer. You don't have someone who's, who's, you know, going somewhere else like in pol through dreams, like in Polaris and the white ship. Instead, you just have a straight up narrative about, about this world. Now, these are locations that, that Lovecraft does inter, the lo locations described in the story are locations that are intertwined in, in some of Lovecraft's other stories. For instance, Ib, Ib is, um, First mentioned in the Doom that came to Starneth, but also mentioned in the Nameless City. It shows up in in at the Mountains of Madness. Minar, which is the the civilization that's the center of the story, uh, was I think it's a great city, right? Let me see. Minar, no, it's the, it's the land uh, that's also in the Nameless City, and that's that's a story that's definitely set on on Earth. Uh, Sarnath, though, which is the city in Minar, 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 M-N-A-R, is is only mentioned in this this particular tale. Um, so this story, it's it's kind of like a little history story we get. In in fact, I think it's it, it kind of reads like a, a history, a very broad one about the rise and fall of a civilization. Like with Polaris, you have a, a, a great civilization emerging in some very very ancient time that gets overwhelmed by some other species or other race um, that's somehow horrific. Uh, these are described straight up as monsters uh, as, we, as we get them worshiping uh, some kind of different deity. Um, Bokrug is his name. Uh, in Polaris, of course, we have uh, you know, quasi-human creatures who are more presented as racial others, the, the Nutos. And the suggestion there is that the Eskimos are, the Inuit are somehow descended from those Inutos. Um, but anyways, uh, you also get the feeling of kind of a, the story of Rome here, the decline of Rome, something that Lovecraft, if you read his letters, you read his, some of his other, well, especially in his letters, he talks quite a lot about Rome, and we'll definitely get into that when we start looking at his letters. And we can kind of connect what he says here to maybe his feelings about, about the fall of Rome. Um, just to kind of foreshadow that stuff a little bit um, especially when you read his letters that he exchanged with with um, Robert E. Howard uh, you have kind of an ongoing debate between the two and it, you know in the printed version of the letters that we have extant some of the letters are missing um, not the ones that Howard wrote to Lovecraft are often missing the ones that Howard that Lovecraft wrote to Howard almost all saved because Howard kept them but um, apparently Lovecraft didn't keep all his letters from Howard uh, but in those, um, in that, in, in those, you know, 
printed together. It's about a thousand pages or so, maybe eight hundred or so, um, printed together in the in the edition that's been recently put together. Uh, it's, there's an ongoing debate about the nature of civilization, and uh, just to come out and say it, you know, Howard saw much more mobility, much more kind of saw migration as key to the building of civilizations much more. And I, I think this maybe comes from the fact that he was a, a Westerner. Uh, well, I mean, he lived in the West, right? Texan. He's more of a frontier guy and he sees history more from a frontier um, point of view. Lovecraft, you know, a little more grounded in New England. Now, as I said in the last episode, when I talked about the white ship, I do think Lovecraft shouldn't be looked at really primarily as the New England writer, but rather as a nautical maritime writer, because the sea connects to so much of what he writes. Even in this story, the sea is in the backdrop of it. Yeah. But the sea is from which doom comes. Uh, it's from where, where the danger comes. It's where uh, threats come. And that's, uh, uh, you know, that this story in many ways encompasses a lot of what he thinks about the nature of civilization. That civilization is at its its best when it's stable, it's rooted in one place, it has it has a history in a place. Uh, and that history can be revealed in architecture, that history can be revealed in its culture. Uh, now here we have decadence, and certainly he's concerned about decadence, but nevertheless he's more concerned about the, the, the migrations in, the invasions from, from afar. Um, and so whether this is Rome being fall, falling due to the barbarian invasions, the so-called barbarian invasions, or the United States being overwhelmed with immigrants, a, a theme we'll pick up when we look at the street in a couple of episodes, uh, the threat is coming from motion itself. And so civilization really can't be, cannot really migrate very much. In fact, one of the first debates that Howard and Lovecraft have is about the nature of the origin of of British languages. And, and Lovecraft didn't want to believe, he was really hesitant when, when Howard brought this up, that maybe the roots of like English language and the British, I mean, British languages uh, was from immigration. Now, if you take any kind of, if you just like, if you just look at the historical record of English, it's a mixture. You have the Celtic languages, which were originally migrations into the British Isles. Then you have the Anglo-Saxon migrations, the Viking migrations, the French migrations. Um, and then you got the, the English expanding around the world, becoming a global language through the migration of English people. So obviously he's wrong here. And I think Howard is, his, is on the right side of just historical record. But Lovecraft really had a hard time believing that anything good can come from from this from migratory people because they, they seem to lose their fur footing. Uh, it's kind of almost like a blood and soil argument at times that Lovecraft gets into. That said, it does, he doesn't mean, he's not saying decadence isn't possible and decline isn't possible just from internal uh, uh, ennui or internal um, paralysis. That's you know certainly something else he's worried about too. But I think he sees that as less of an existential threat than, than the outsider. Um, another way of reading the doom that came to Sarnath is, of course, is, is kind of as a blowback story, right? It's, it's really a story of empire that at the expense of indigenous people that eventually gets punished for that by revenge by those same people who are displaced and destroyed. So it's like those sins of the of this civilization can't be forgiven. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of come at this story. And in, even with different political points of view, 
you know, if, if you want to be on the side of the indigenous people, you can. And I think that's something that I find quite uh, empowering just as a reader of Lovecraft is we have Lovecraft's position. And I, I do believe he's, you know, you know, he's, he's the guy who wouldn't want to build the wall, right, to keep out the immigrants. I, I think that's clear in his letters and in many of his other stories. Nevertheless, his stories can usually be flipped, flipped around. And by flipping it around, you see uh, the great power of of the victims of history, the great power of of the the rabble, the mob, the immigrant, whatever. And that's the case here in the doom they came to start out too. So whether you want to read this as a story of decadence, a story of civilization being overthrown by the migrant, by the the people, um, you know, the the outside barbarism, um, or you want to see it as a story of blowback, almost like imperial blowback. All of them are perfectly legitimate readings of the story. Um, and yeah, it's great. Now, what really stands this one apart from some of his other stories in this vein, this kind of sometimes called the Dunsany period of his writing, is it doesn't have the traveler. It doesn't have the, 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 the dreamer. Um, but, you know, it could, he could have added that, but he already, sort of already did this with Polaris. It would have been very much like Polaris if he would have done that. So um, I like this story simply as a, a kind of a straight-up history of, uh, of an extra-worldly setting that he's trying to, to lay out. And he's going to come back to this setting a little bit more. In fact, um, you know, for all that, the talk that's been given, like the Arkham Cycle and the Arkham Mythos, um, later on, the, oh, it's called the Cthulhu Mythos by people who come later, is those connections are a lot like not as clear. You got Arkham, you got Miskatonic University, you got a few characters here and there, but those stories all kind of stand there on their own. But these stories, the Dreamland stories, the Nameless City, the Doom that Came to Sarnath, Polaris, Dream Quest of the Unknown Kadath, they're a lot more integrated. And put together, you know, if you were to read all the Dreamland stories, you know, back to back, you would find a lot more connection than I do, you think, in like the straight up Arkham cycle um, stories. So, anyways. That's some of my thoughts on this. Uh, the story is pretty straightforward. Uh, so we're, we're, just, we're, we're given the land of Menar. 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 M-N-A-R. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, and it's, it's, there's a lake there. So water plays a role here. But no streams flow into the river. No streams flow out, right? But apparently at one time they, they did. Uh, but it's sometime in the past. So 10,000 years ago, there stood by its shore the mighty city of Sarnath, but Sarnath stands there no more. So we are, we are going to be told about the rise and fall of this city of Sarnath in this land of, of Menar. Now, uh, Sarnath was not the first civilization in this land. Predating it was Ib, the, the city of Ib. So it was also a city. It was also an urban civilization called Ib, um, which is as described as as old as the lake itself. So it is prehistoric. Um, if, if Sarnath sort of exists in history, has a literary culture, has uh, a little bit more visible memory, Ib is something really prehistoric. It goes way, way back. It's like the people were like the, the cult and that's hinted at in Dagon or the Nutos or, or those kinds of groups. It's, it's like the before there's any kind of civilization, the, the pure bar barbarous age of, of humans, even before humanity. And these are clearly described as not human anyways. Um, 
but they were able to build a city. Uh, but the world is described as, um, or the people are described as, incotate and rudely fashioned. Um, quote, the beings of Ib were in hue, as green as the lake and the mist that rise above it. They had the bulging eyes, pouty, flabbing lips, and curious ears, and were without voice. It was also written that they descended one night from the moon in a mist, they and that vast still lake in gray stone city Ib. However this may be, it is certain that they worship the green, sea green stone idol chiseled in the likeness of Bokrug, the great water lizard. Uh, so this is, of course, you're going to think about Dagon, which has some kind of pre-human society, worshipping monoliths, uh, worshipping creatures. They're, they're not human. They're something that's uh, parallel or predating human um, humans. Uh, the moon, you know, worshipping around the moon, that's the same thing you saw in, in Dagon. Um, and, you know, they even built the city even before they... They built fire before they invent. They discovered fire, right? And they they invent fire only for their their religious purposes. Quote that they one day discovered fire and thereafter kindled flames on many ceremonial occasions. But this is essentially an ahistorical civilization. There's not much written about them. All we have is the papyrus of Ilornek, Ilornek, which. Uh, which uh, Klinger gives a footnote about this, saying uh, it's mentioned in the Dream Quest of Anon Kadath and the Quest of Iranon, another couple of Dream Quest stories, Dreamland stories. So there's, it's a text that shows up again. So we, of course, are always on our lookout for, for texts because we're interested in this podcast about, about Lovecraft's relationship with knowledge and, and we were talking about vernacular networks of knowledge. So the, the truth about Ib is kind of carried on in a vernacular way um so not far from the great city we get the wandering tribes and these these are kind of a migratory population that comes in but they end up creating a much greater civilization so i think lovecraft's not he obviously knows that at some point the civilizations had to have settled from somewhere they had to have come from some kind of barbaric past but he still seems to make a distinction between those civilizations that kind of remain migratory remain kind of brutish and, and barbarous in his view, and those that do establish themselves and become tied to the land, become established. Um, and they um, they really marveled at the people, beings of Ib as being a greater civilization, but eventually they they conquer them, right? But with only, what did they adore? What did they, what were they fascinated by? What did they, um, what was this awe they had with the people of Ib? Um, you know, it's, it's more like, it's, it's described here as more like a, a mixture of, of fascination and awe at these achievements alongside hatred of them. There's like a visceral hatred of their monoliths, of their gods, of, of Bokrub. Quote, nor did they like the strange sculptures upon the gray monoliths of Ib, for these sculptures were terrible with great antiquity. Why the beings in the sculpture lingered so late in the world, even until the coming of men, none can tell, unless it was because... The land of Mnar is still, is very still and remote from most other lands, both of waking and of dream. Um, so as the people of Sarnath establish themselves in this region, they grow to hate the people of Ib. And they end up becoming more of a, like a, a race war against the people of Ib. So eventually one day they just slaughter and destroy the city of Ib. And it's described in a paragraph here. 
Um, quote, and because they did not like the gray sculptured monoliths of Ib, they cast these also into the lake, wondering from the greatness of their labor, however the stones were brought from afar. So they totally eradicate this civilization that they, they take over and erase it, erase its memory. All right, that's another Lovecraftian theme is the, the, the necessity of erasing the past. Um, now here it kind of comes back to bite them, of course, but I still can't get out of my head the whole story of the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which is literally about two generations trying to erase a horrific crime, trying to erase any memory of a horrific crime, right? And, you know, so that's American history for you right there, right? This effort to erase, and I guess recently more people are aware of how the U.S. was based on slavery and, and genocide, but, you know, people in the 18th century knew that too. Um, but still, there's this effort through the writing of history and remembering the past to erase that, whether it was through Manifest Destiny or kind of seeing the Puritans as the founders of, of civilization or whatever. But no, America is an Atlantic civilization, you know, based on slavery, based on forced migration, based on indentured servitude, based on genocide, based on, you know, the most, some of the most horrific violence inflicted against um, other people. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm almost fine saying Sarnath is the United States and, and, and Ib is somehow the indigenous people. Uh, if you if you want to kind of take it in a in a symbolic way, so the only thing they end up keeping is one uh, idol of Bokrop, the water lizard. So that's the only thing of Ib that survives. And the young men take it back. The soldiers take it back to Sarnath from from Ib. And we get a warning. Here's where we get the warning. The warning comes from a Sarnath priest, the high priest Taran Ish. And he, well, he's in this temple with this uh, idol where they put this idol. And he, one day he's just dead. Something weird happens at the night. There's a light um, over the lake and the idol's gone and Tarnish Ish is dying. And he writes or carves, yeah, where he scrawls. So he writes on the temple wall, doom. So this is the warning that they're going to come back. But of course, the people of Sarnath don't take this warning. They forget it, and, you know, Tarnash Ish, who's the last person, presumably, to see the, the people of Ib, because they, they obviously broke in and took the idol back and murdered um, Tarnash Ish, this priest, he's the last to see the people of Ib. And very, very quickly, the people of Sarnath forget that and focus on building their great civilization. And then we get into what's actually the bulk of the story, which is the description of the empire um, architecture of of Sarnath. It, it's like half the story is just paragraph after paragraph of the architecture and Lovecraft having a lot of fun here just describing the type of the, the material civilization that gets established in Sarnath. He doesn't spend too much time on their culture, on their, their ways of life, their art, their poetry, except the suggestion that all of this wealth, this great civilization that's created allows a, a fully developed, realized and prolific culture. So how much do you want me to go into this stuff? I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to say too much about the bulk of the story because it is just a description of it, but I, I will kind of summarize it. One thing we have here is, is clearly an empire um, that conquers all the other lands of Minar. They, they all become kind of subjects. The different kings of Minar become subjects to 
Sarnath over time. Uh, there's trade in precious metals, rare cloths, jewels, and books, uh, and all kinds of luxuries, right? But, you know, what's forgotten is the warning. Now, the Ib, people of Ib are not completely forgotten. There's still traditions that carry them on, but they're kind of physically eradicated. Like Lovecraft wrote, we don't even have books about them. The only books we have suggest that they started, they invented fire. Um, and then we get into the architecture. Uh, we got... Uh, Here's a description of Sarnath. The wonder of the world and the pride of all mankind was Sarnath the Magnificent. Of polished desert quarried marble were its walls. In heights 300 cubits in breadth, 75, so that chariots might pass each other as men dare them along the top. For full of 500 sadia they did run, being open only on the side toward the lake, where the green stone seawall kept back the waves that ro rose oddly once a year at the festival of the destruction, destroying of Ib. In Sarnath were 50 streets from the lake to the gates of the caravans and 50 more intersecting with them. So a massive city, right? There, That's dominating all the neighboring societies and cultures of, of Menar. And, and what the only memory we have of Ib is this yearly celebration, this like Independence Day celebration, where people revel and in, 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 in glory at the, at the destruction of Ib. And when does that happen? Well, it happens when the sea is higher when the waves oddly rise once a year, right? It's not explained why they raise once a year. It's not tides. You know, tides don't don't raise just once a year. But that is the, the, the cycle. It's like the only memory we have. Everything else is forgotten, and the people just kind of move on with their lives, and the civilization becomes increasingly decadent. Um, we got a paragraph describing the palaces, two paragraphs describing the palaces and, and temples. Um, and, and some of this stuff is pretty impressive. I like this one. Uh, we're describing the, the palace. This is the throne. It was wrought in one piece of ivory, though no man lives to could, whence so vast a piece could have come. How can you have a, a one piece of ivory? That's a whole throne. The throne itself was massive, by the way. Um, the temples. The, the temples do have a little bit of memory here. Uh, some of the high priests do remember the warning of of Tarnash Ish, quote, uh, the high priest looked out over the city and the plains and the lake by day and at the cryptic moon and significant stars and planets and the reflection by the lake by night. Here was done the very secret and ancient rite and detestation of Bokrub, the water lizard. And here rested the altar of crystallite, which bore doom scroll of Tarnash Ish. And then, Instead of like dwelling on this threat, the threat of doom, the warning, the danger, we get back to the gardens. Lovecraft immediately starts to talk about the gardens, which are kind of gardens and zoos mixed together. Animals from all over the land of Menar, you know, dwell in this in these gardens. Um, and uh, then we're told more about the feast of the destroying of the Ib, which happens yearly. Right, which is a big bacchanalia party. It's the it's it's a time when the civilization can really uh, have its festive days. Um, at first, the priests don't like this, but they come to accept them. Um, quote: For they had descended among them queer tales of how the sea green icon had vanished and how Tarnash Ish had died from fear and left a warning. And they saw that from the high tower they sometimes saw lights beneath the waters of the lake. But as many years passed without calamity, even the priests laughed or cursed and joined in the orgies of the feasters. Indeed, they 
had they not themselves in their high tower often performed a very ancient and secret rite in detestation of Bokrub, the water lizard? It's the second time that's mentioned. And a thousand years of riches and delight passed over Sarnath, the wonder of the world, and pride of all mankind. Um, so, the climax of the story happens during the festival of Bokrub on the thousandth anniversary of, of, of the founding of Sarnath, or the destruction of Iv. Sarnath was actually founded a little bit before, right? But clearly we have de decadence being suggested here. Um, in the food they eat, the, the, the luxury they live in, the, the drunken revelries, the ancient wine that they're taking from their conquered people. I, I almost was thinking of the Aztecs here, where you had the Tenochtitlan, this massive city, fueled you know, by commerce from conquered people, right, who were basically forced to pay tribute to the city. Um, you know, it's one reason the Spanish were able to, to destroy the Aztecs so quickly, was because there's a lot of subject people that weren't too happy to be subject people of the, of the Mexicans. Um, so the only warning we get, and some priests here seem to know it, but they're, they're ignored. The only warning we get is these lights that appear beneath the water. So as we expect when we read Lovecraft, the threat comes from the water. Now, it's not the sea here. It's this lake near Sarnath. But I think that distinction isn't that important. The, the thing is that's the threat, the danger comes from the ocean. It's a nautical threat, as we see in, in, in his other tales. Um, and then at midnight of this party, uh, quote, all the bronze gates of Sarnath burst open and emptied forth a frenzied throng that blackened the plain so that all the visiting priests, princes and travelers fled away in flight, flight, fright. For on the face of the throng was writ of madness born of horrible horror unendurable and on their tongues were words so terrible that no hearer paused for proof men whose eyes were wild with fear shrieked aloud at the sight within the king's banquet hall where through the windows were no longer seen the forms of nagras hay and his nobles and slaves but a horde of indescribable green voiceless things with bulging eyes pouting flabby lips and curious ears things which dance horribly bearing in their paws golden platters set with rubies and diamonds containing uncouth flames as the princes and travelers, and the princes and travelers, as they fled from the doomed city of Sarnath, and horses and camels and elephants looked again upon the misbegotten lake and saw that gray, gray, gray Akurian was quite submerged. Um, so they're destroyed by the Ib. The people of Ib come back after a thousand years and totally destroy Sarnath at the peak of its decadence on the very day it celebrates the destruction of of Ib. And while the land of Menar goes on, uh, they just, Sarnath itself is destroyed and it kind of enters into a new, new phase of history. Uh, only a few people come back to Sarnath, the curious, uh, again, curiosity being an important Lovecraft theme. The curious come back to investigate, to observe it, but it's very, very few. Um, that, that brave, that journey. Most people just uh, choose to, just history moves on and Sarnath is more or less forgotten. Quote, where once had risen walls of 300 cubits and towers yet higher, now stretched only the marshy shore and where once had dwelt 50 millions of men, now crawled only with detestable green water lizard. Crawled only the detestable green water lizard. Nor even the mines of precious metal remained for doom had come to Sarnath. Uh, the only thing that remains, though, is this statue. The statue has reemerged. This um, Bokrup statue is still there, half buried in the rushes. 
Um, so that's 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 Lovecraft's story of Sarnath in the land of, of Menar. Um, it is obviously a story of of a, of a decadent civilization collapsing. It's the story of, of of conquest by barbarism. It's the it's a story of the danger of the sea and people of the sea. Uh, yeah, um, that's the tale. Um, I don't know what, what more to say about it. Um, certainly, this can be framed in terms of, of, of race. You can connect it with a lot of his other stories where he sees an external threat. But I um, want to read this by flipping. I want to flip it. I want to see the Ib as heroes. You know, the Ib forgotten, ridiculed. You know, their defeat, their, their murder being celebrated by the people of Sarnath in their decadent yearly festivals. And even though it took a thousand years, they got the upper hand, right? So they're powerful. They're, they have that strength, that strength in their traditions, their worship of Bokrub, who, who may, in fact, be a, a real creature here. Um, in fact, at the end of the story, where once had dwelt millions of men now called only the detestable green water lizard. So it, it's, a, it's a real creature. It's singular. It's not talking about the Ib. And then it would be lizards. And they're not really described necessarily as lizards. They're green, voiceless things with bulging eyes, pouty, flappy lips, and curious ears. So there is, Bokrub seems to be a real entity here. Um, but through their continued worship of Bokrub, they're able to, to come back. Um, and in that, that's so, my, my point being Lovecraft sees this power of the sea, this danger, dangerous power of the sea. Dangerous power of vernacular traditions. Dangerous power of the neglected, the forgotten, the, the defeated um, coming coming back. So this does throw a bit of a wrench in my one of my theses here. That I, I do think Lovecraft, by and large, wants us to forget the the horrible past and don't face it. You know, you don't open up the Necronomicon. You don't study it. If you're the outsider, you don't look in the mirror. You just forget that. You just pretend it's not not real. Uh, nevertheless, you know, in this story, he seemed, you know, had the people of Sarnath remembered, maybe they would have had a different fate. But, you know, decadence is decadence, and decadence will come um, when it will. So we're going to think about the story as we, we start to read some of Lovecraft's history, like historical writings and his letters in particular, and, and think about this because Lovecraft does dwell on Rome. He thinks about the fate of America. Uh, in the coming decades, the 20th century. He has a lot of predictions for the U.S. in the 20th century in his letters. So we're going to think about the Doom of Sarnath as we go forward. We also were going to want to think about it when we look at stories like At the Mountains of Madness, where you have the Shoggoths who end up kind of winning, the slaves winning out over the elder things. Um, to a certain degree, you have this in, uh, what's the story I'm thinking of? Uh, Shadow of Time, too. So we are going to not forget the Duma Sarnath. We are going to keep it in mind as we read more of Lovecraft's work. Certainly it's one I think you need to read if you want to, to dig into this aspect of his, of, his, of his writing. More important than just mentioning some of these places that will show up in later stories. It's, uh, it's, it's really essential to kind of his vision of history. And it can be read so many different ways. So that's a, a great thing about this story. So anyways, that's it. Uh, relatively short discussion here of the doom that came to Sarnath. Um, next time, uh, 
the statement of Randall Carter. Uh, this story was written also in 1919. It's based on one of Lovecraft's dreams. It's more poesque. It's um, a straight-up horror tale. It's a lot of fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking about that with you. But maybe uh, a little bit shallow. It, it kind of has more of a. It's more about effect than than kind of deep analysis and interpretation. But I do have some important things to say about the statement of Randolph Carter. So that's coming up next. So if you're reading along, check it out. Check out the statement of Randolph Carter after you read the Doom that came to Sarnath. And um, yeah, stay tuned for for the next episode. See you then. Thanks for listening.